0: Hello and welcome to Hit Me in the Heart, the podcast that's calling into late-night radio request lines. I'm your bleeding-heart millennial, Scott. I'm your hearty flyboy, Travis. And I'm your kind-hearted Oaf, Paul. And I'm your special guest, Pete. Welcome, special guest Pete. And today we are talking about the greatest songs ever written.
1: At my iris Why can't I cry about this Maybe there is something That you know that I don't We adopt brand new language So is everyone done
2: crying? Is everyone okay? Has everyone recovered from that song? I'm fine <laughs> who hurt you, Paul? Who hurt everyone you? hurt me, Scott, everyone.
0: I gotta say, I was thrown through a loop when you said that this was really? what you consider the greatest song ever written. Well, so written, tell me more, tell me well,
2: why. Well, first I gotta go back a bit, is I am known for, amongst close friends as somebody who doesn't listen to lyrics.
0: infamously. and yes. this song without lyrics is... Is not to my that ear
2: much. yeah thing. a song can res- resonate with you sometimes obviously if you if the lyrics hit you and the lyrics hit me in this one most of all because it's it's there's the accent and when do you hear a song where someone's from scotland or from england or from australia and their accent comes through it never happens like kiss from a rose you listen to it and seal does not sound british at all i think just the fact that it's somebody singing with an accent that's why i may have paid more attention to the lyrics
0: so it was kind of like the flag that you like when you first hear something you sit up and you notice
2: it a yes bit more. and yeah. I, I couldn't help but not listen to lyrics that seemed not foreign but just definitely a little different the song came out about i think 12 years ago in 2008 it did kind of coincide with A bit of heartbreak that was happening in vancouver at the time i don't usually turn to music to to mourn something i just tend to listen to sad music in general this one is exceptionally sad and this has layers and layers of sad to it again some backstory on him his name is scott hutchison Uh, the band is frightened rabbit and the song is called poke um and the the lead singer has gone through a lot of mental health issues a lot of depression and he ended up I believe, I don't know if it's still, if they're still determining this, but he uh, had killed himself about three or four years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. I have to look that up. But or it's, I remember
0: we've been to see Frightened Rabbit performing live yes. here in Toronto two or three times yeah
2: and i think we were at the same concert when we were first starting to get to know each other
0: yeah literally like a week or two after i came to toronto there was a frightened rabbit concert that i got dragged along to and yeah
2: and i remember getting really frustrated because he he yelled out to the crowd if they wanted to hear one song or another and Polk was one of the options and of course i wanted to hear Polk. i had come to that concert hoping now away from the heartache in vancouver and recovered i want i still wanted to hear the song and uh, he played it cause it seemed like people wanted to hear it, but then fuck, like when you're sitting at I, this, I always get frustrated when you're sitting, I find at the back of a, a concert or even in the middle and the, and if it's a band that has heavier music, when the slow songs come on, everyone just starts talking and like Terrible. doesn't want it
1: sucks. We we started listening to this song this afternoon and the first time we listened to it was a live version and it wasn't until we saw, heard a studio version that it made a little bit more sense because it was a quieter song. It it oh, yeah. it was more evocative of I don't know the sounds of sadness or whatever because lost in a big space with people sort of chatting and talking over it it loses a lot. Yeah, that
3: would be terrible to hear that in concert.
2: And it was terrible when I heard it live, and it, really, it was really disappointing.
1: magnets on the pool of the moon, why won't our love keel over as it chokes on a bone? We can mourn its passing. You can hear, like you
2: almost hear tremble in his voice. He sounds upset while he's singing it. Yes. And it, that really hit part me. part
3: of it.
0: Yeah. It's very, very intimate. So is that like, is that the thing that? That really gets through to you is the intimacy with which this this particular recording is Uh, is done. And
2: then that's the next part is is it's just a guitar, a really simple riff that he repeats. And there's some like atmospheric, you know, instruments that kind of come in a little bit, but like it's just him and his voice. And like the lyrics, even though I'm not a lyrics guy, they hurt. Has this had more longevity on your
0: playlist than something else would?
2: A hundred percent. Like I feel like that song could have been written yesterday, could have been recorded yesterday. Just the combination of everything it, it just makes it to me an song. It's one that I'm I'm sad that I, I didn't get to hear it properly live, but I will still enjoy this version that exists.
3: never
0: you. Anything else you want to say about
2: it? Uh, it makes me cry. <laughs> cry. That's a pretty good. I thought know. I would cry talking about it, but I have not. So I I've I have success. Well, it'd make you
0: cry talking about it. What? What would make you cry? (laughs) What are you trying to do to me? I'm trying to be the producer on a reality show. (laughs) Uh,
2: I feel like I'm on one right now. Just give me some alcohol now, too.
3: That was Elton John, a song called The Captain and the Kid from his 2006 album called Captain and the Kid. This is very NPR. I love it. (laughs) What made you choose it? Why why is this the best song ever written? Calling it that is such a big build-up. I had such a hard time picking just one. Then why do you like it? Right. So I have hundreds of all-time favorite songs. I have, maybe 20 years ago, my then-boyfriend made a series of CDs for me containing all the, a list, I had made a list of songs that I consider my all-time favorites. He put them all on a series of CDs, and I lent them to a friend, thinking, Gary, get to know these songs I love, and a couple weeks later, I said, did you ever get to listen to it? And he said, yes, you can have it back, it made me want to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we sad. I would say I'm completely unfamiliar with Elton John's discography later than the Lion King soundtrack. Right.
3: So that's what I like also is the references to prior songs, to a history. For me, my favorite artists, part of the love for them is the whole catalog, the whole story of liking them since I was a kid, going to concerts sometimes, and songs that reference other songs. It's kind of like a secret little gift to the fans or the people that love the artist. It's like when they reference something that you know and most people would never catch. That makes me love it even more. And there's tons of that in this.
1: The reason why I started listening to it because this whole album is really just a reference to an album he did, what, 25 years earlier? (laughs) Called the... Captain
3: Fantastic and the Brown Dark Cowboy, one of his biggest albums. It was from 1975. What hits might have been on that one? Someone Save My Life Tonight. And that's it. So the rest of it was free form. They did whatever they wanted. That was the peak of his career, was at 75. So there was one hit, and the other, say, nine songs were all autobiographical about him and Bernie Taupin. down, you a me and other brick road. The time, so better this whole album was a sequel to the first autobiographical album. So that was from like 1967 to 75. And this album, the whole album, was 1975 to 2006. Captain Fantastic is a reference to Elton John. Brown Dirt Cowboy is a reference to Bernie Taupin, who was very interested in the Old West of the U.S. and the South, the Civil War, all types of things like that. And they've had whole albums with no hits with those themes. So if you go back and look at the words to these songs, there's tons of references to Cowboys uh, versus The Captain, which is this glittery, glamorous you know, city guy. Elton John is f- one of the biggest artists for me since I was early child, and my older sister bought his album. Goodbye Yellow Brook Road which came out in 73 and I was five or six years old then so it's been you know decades of this music and this song felt like sort of a cap like an an end recap of his career and actually that album that I loved so much since then in 2006 he's put out other albums that I think have fallen short it's a feel-good song which I don't love a lot of feel good songs to me it's sort of boppy and bouncy which is nice to listen to in the car it feels good to have something that is nostalgic
0: any final thoughts any final wrap-ups is there anything else you want to say
3: Uh, It was just one of maybe 200 songs I could have chosen, but there were only five upbeat ones. (laughs)
0: try to be very supportive of one another's choices. Travis, what is the song? <laughs> <laughs> um, so my uh,
1: song that I've chosen is Toi
0: Gymnopédie.
1: by Eric <laughs> <laughs> by Eric Cittier. Um I don't actually know how to pronounce it. I've only seen it written. Um, no one's ever actually said the name to me, but uh, this is one of those. But you know it, right? Everyone I know knows it. That.
3: Yes. I do know it too.
0: Yeah, it's like familiar. the sad music. When someone's sad, they, they play this song in a movie, and it's like public domain, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually where I, I, I'm sure I've seen it in at least four or five films.
0: It's, very,
1: it's a very, very famous piece of music, and it tends to be um, put in places that are very sad. But for me, it wasn't necessarily that. I came into this piece of music when I was in high school. And um, it was just after I had made an amazing group of friends. It was just as I was starting to do really, really well in school. I was, uh, you know, I was a lead in the play. I was on the honor roll. I was on all the sports teams. What play? uh, uh, Beckett's Endgame. Oh, yes. And we used it for Beckett's Endgame at the beginning and the end, different movements. This evokes such strong feelings in me because At that time, I was dealing with the fact that I was so happy in so many aspects of my life. And you needed something to modulate it? (laughs) (laughs) But I was also struggling with being gay. I was so sad that I was hiding this huge part of me. So it was this conflict because the song song itself, the, the piece of music is... So quiet, and it's so beautiful, and it didn't matter where I heard it, I would be both happy and sad. It wasn't about anything except the emotional connection that I had to this music. Lyrics would have ruined it because I don't know how, I wouldn't have known how to express how I was feeling at that moment in words. So the only thing that was really able to do it was this particular piece of music and it was one of my first forays into any sort of classical type of music and it's beautiful it's both happy and sad at the same time and there was nothing that could have better captured that feeling for me and whenever i hear it now it brings me back exactly to that place in my life where I can feel the the conflict about having all these people that were close to me, that cared about me, that wanted the best from me. You know, my girlfriend that I met at the time, she and I used to have conversations all day that I wouldn't have been able to have with any other person before that in my life. And then suddenly there's also this sadness where, oh, but I have to hold back. There's a lot there. And yet all it is, is a simple piano riff. There's harmony, but there's also dissonance. It's not a steady sort of beautiful melody. It sort of works against itself as as well as moving forward. Yeah, it's got that kind of ebb and flow of life thing going for it. I think it's just the most magical piece of music that has spoke to me as much today as it did 20 years ago when I first heard it.
0: How do you how do you feel then that it's used so much in other popular culture as like the one note, sad <laughs> introspective theme?
1: I, you know? I I think it's funny because it's also like clearly it has made that, or other people have made that connection that this is something that's sort of morose and somber and whatever. And I remember seeing the sheet music once, and it says like at the top of the um, sheet music plays sadly like, it's, <laughs> it's not pulling punches or anything like that it is it's supposed to be that but to me it's not just that and to most people I, I think it's like oh yeah that's a nice piece of music it's not as special as as it is but that's the thing about music it's going to speak to everyone else it's the thing about art right is it, it there are things that are sort of you know more Aesthetically pleasing than other things, but there are those pieces of art that stay with you and and live with you for your entire life. And this just has to be
0: one of those. Someone should do a podcast about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts?
1: Um not really. The- Wait, (laughs) should be a final thought.
0: So the song that I am bringing to the table this week is Message to My Girl by the new wave band Split Ends. They were a New Zealand act formed like in the 70s, I think. Uh, Tim and Neil Finn uh, performed in it, who would then later on after Split Ends go on to be crowded house. Growing up in Australia now, house like three streets back from the beach. Um, we had a front fancy dining room. And whenever my parents would entertain their like friends and colleagues and stuff and they came over, they would sit in the front room and we had this speaker system where you would load up the CDs in, in the main living room and they were wires that ran into there and they would play like a whole bunch of music that was, to me as a kid, like, oh, This is the fancy music. This is the dinner party music. This is the music that grown-ups listen to. This is like music that has reached maturity. And one of those albums that they would always play on these CD rotators was Enzo, uh, which is when a whole bunch of, of songs from Split Ends were rearranged and reimagined with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. So I actually came to this song through the orchestral recording of it. It has stuck with me. I remember ripping the CD and putting it on my iPod because for me, the entire point of this song is it's about someone who undergoes a profound change and really means it in the core of their being. And that is something that I find is very hard to communicate. it's sung and the way it's structured over the chords and the way that the music and the lyrics work together just give it this sense of profound resonance and i don't even deign to pretend that that's not tied up in the fact that when i was a kid this is art that is matured it achieves things that a lot of art tries to achieve and it does it so effortlessly it makes it look easy right to me and i don't know i'm genuinely curious when you guys listen to this the studio version which also holds up really really well but is very much part of like the new wave genre and then you listen to this Enzo version with a live symphony orchestra and my god if anything soars with a symphony orchestra it is well put together pop Art, alternative
2: stuff. The live or- orchestral version was absolutely incredible. Like it was a beautiful piece. And, but to be honest for me, if you throw in like a, a, a choir and, and and it makes <laughs> like, every, it's yeah, like yeah, cheating. It just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's,
0: cheat code for making yeah, your music.
2: A hundred percent. So I really love that version. It's just the strength
0: of the writing. Like part of me, the reason why this song is timeless. The reason why I think it's one of the greatest songs ever written is because not only are there the two versions that i've shown you guys there's also versions where people uh like strip it down and it's a voice a piano and maybe like a violin so i wake up happy there's people who've done rock versions of it Someone did the one version of it, they somehow managed to ruin it, as given enough time and effort, people can ruin everything, um, was like the, the elevator smooth jazz version of this song. <laughs> it's a genuine travesty. There's really interesting musical ideas there.
2: think of poke by frightened rabbit
1: i like that type of music i would definitely listen it to it again it is wonderful to hear
0: that it had such an impact on you therefore it must be a decent song to me poke is a song that i would have to sit down and listen to with concentration at a very specific moment and it would mean a very specific thing
3: to me the anguish by the end of the song makes the whole song did the captain and the kid hit you in the heart like, I don't think it's had the impact on me on like a visceral emotional
0: level, but I think intellectually, it's like super interesting.
2: In terms of the, the music, it's, it's not something I would normally listen to, but I really enjoyed the story behind it for sure.
1: I didn't like it when you first played it for me. Five years later, that song is significant to me.
2: So gentlemen,
0: Trois, je petit. Did it hit you in the heart? It hit me in your heart. For me, it won't forever be a cliche because now when I hear it, I'll think of you.
2: As somebody who spends his days listening to uh, soundtrack music at work, it had already hit me in the heart. I would it's not something I would listen to more often, but I, I I enjoy it. I enjoy a very quiet piano on a rainy day.
3: I guess I see that it's it's a way to sort of stop and take a breath, and think about things.
0: Gender pronouns notwithstanding. Did the message to my girl, Rachel?
3: That the
2: choir, the the live Orchestra. It was just and the music and, and his singing. It was incredible. I definitely it definitely hit me. I do not like the studio version though. I'm a melody
3: person, so it definitely struck me. And I like that part of it.
2: Clearly, a different version
1: of the song. There's a lot there, and definitely worth listening to.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this wonderful episode of Hit Me in the Heart. I'm your bleeding hot millennial Scott.
1: I'm your hearty flyboy Travis.
2: And I'm your kind-hearted oath Paul. And I'm your special guest, Pete. And we'll see you on the next one.
0: Thank you very much for listening to hit me in the heart you can listen to all the episodes on our website hitmeintheheart.com where you'll also find links to the songs we talked about today and other bits and pieces mentioned in today's episode if you've enjoyed listening please rate us review us subscribe to us on your platform of choice all of that stuff will help new people find all of these wonderful little gems that we're throwing out into the world our email is podcast at gmail.com